Well, how is everybody doing this morning? You braved the winter weather. You braved the snow. Good morning to all you who are watching us online because uh, you didn't want to make the drive. Well, thankfully, technology allows you to tune right in with us. And so grab your notebook, grab your Bible, follow right along, you know, shut off everything else. This is a time where you center in on God just like we're doing. We're here. It's our focus, and so you make it your focus too. Well... Let's jump right back into our series that we started two weeks ago on the laws of God. And, you know, I was doing a lot more studying, digging deeper into some different areas this week. And this is just such an, an important subject for us to, to look at because you are bound by the laws of the kingdom you belong to. You know, and as Paul said in, when he was praying for the, the church at Colossae, he said, you have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love, which means there was a change. There was a change of reference point. As we were talking about in the story of Nicodemus last week, Jesus said to him, what is born of flesh is flesh. And what is born of spirit is spirit. If you're just of the natural birth, like you were born into this world by your mother, and you've lived naturally, you're bound by the natural laws, but there's the new birth. Jesus said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We have to understand what the new laws are. Come on. You know, I was watching a video a few weeks ago of, uh, of a police officer who had pulled the Canadian over in California. And the, Cal the Canadian handed his driver's license out the window. And, of course, they were from Ontario. And he's looking at it. He's like, what is this? I've not, I've not seen an Ontario license before. And he's like, how long are you going to be in California for? He's like, oh, about 10 days. He's like, well, then you need a California license. Pla license. Now, you can't. I, I'm going to have to give you a ticket. And the person was saying, no, I'm a Canadian. I get six months. I don't need to change my license just because I'm here. I'm not living here. I'm just visiting. He's, no, no, no. You got to get a new license, and I'm going to have to give you a ticket right now. He didn't even know the laws of his own state, and he's the one that was there to enforce them. Unfortunately, Christians are the same way. They don't know the laws of their own kingdom. They don't know the laws of where they live and what belongs to them, what's been made available to them by Christ Jesus, and they begin to listen to people of the world saying, oh, it's okay that you're going through this. No, go ahead and overcome because you're an overcome in Christ Jesus. We've got to stop listening to people who don't belong to the same kingdom of you, and even if they do, if they're not following kingdom laws, ignore their wisdom. Yes. Come on. Whew, little wound up this morning. You need to understand the laws of God because that's how you were meant to live. You stepped from one kingdom into another. Now, it's very popular to say whenever you mention the word law that, oh, I'm, I'm not under law. I'm under grace. You're right. You're not under the Mosaic law. You're not under the Ten Commandments or the 600 ever other additions, but you are under the law of God. Grace has appeared to all men, and by faith you have accepted it, and you've stepped from one kingdom into another, and you're now bound by the law of God. We better know what those laws are. And law number one that we started covering last week was the law of God. Number one is that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Life is not a suggestion it's the law. 
The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's the law that you've been called to. That life is supposed to flow from that heavenly kingdom into this natural body and out from you into this natural world. Just as we read in Romans chapter 8 last week that it says if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, by that spirit he will quicken your mortal body. Paul's words, straight from Jesus, not mine. He's saying there should be a flow of life from that spirit of life to your natural things. They have to bend their knee to the laws of the kingdom. As we talked about last week, Paul said we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is one who is sent from one nation or one kingdom to another to represent that kingdom, not the one that they're staying in. And that's what we are in this world. We are Christ's ambassadors. We're not there to represent the laws of this world. We're there to represent the laws of the kingdom. Amen? And so the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. Everyone say free. Free. Free from the law of sin and death. Now, the direct context of what Paul meant there in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, is you have been freed from the law, the Mosaic law, and you've been freed from that sin nature and that death nature that entered into mankind because of Adam. Come on, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to line up to talk to Adam when we get there. All the things that I had to go through you just because you decided you wanted to put some food in your belly because your wife said it tasted good. Come on. (laughs) Come on. God said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they were thinking natural death, but it was spiritual death. And as Paul tells us earlier on in Romans, because of what Adam did, death and sin passed to all men, even to those who have not sinned in the same way Adam did. It spread to all mankind. There was a nature change. But thank God for the second Adam. And that because of what he did, we get to have that nature change and have that spirit of life alive on the inside of us that frees us from the law of sin and death. I'm not bound by sin and I'm not bound by death. This world, I will leave it when I'm good and ready. God said in his word, I can have 80 if I want, and if I want more than that, I can have 120. That's the limit. Why are people checking out at 66? Come on. Let's be bold about it. Life is supposed to be flowing from that kingdom into this body, making it alive. And that's the law in which I'm bound to it. We've got to stop saying, I'm so tired, I'm so tired. No, I'm alive in Christ Jesus. Come on. That life is flowing to me because that's the kingdom that I'm drawing from. And as we said last week, Paul said, those who sow unto the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption or destruction. But those who sow unto the Spirit, they will reap life everlasting, life and peace. That's the state of the new believer. That's the natural state of the new believer. Anything else is just simply unnatural. Amen? So let's dive a little bit more into this law again before we move on this week. In Romans chapter 7, we didn't get a lot out of Romans chapter 7 last week. We just looked at the example Paul gave at the first about how we've been freed from the law. But as in verse 6, it says this. Now we have been delivered. Say delivered. Delivered. That means taken out of. If you were being held captive and someone came and delivered you, what does that mean? You're not a captive anymore. We have been. 
Now, Miss Teacher, what is have been? That's a past tense. Thank you, Jessica. That means this is talking about something that has already happened on your behalf. We have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What is Paul saying? He's saying that the spirit on the inside of you will make you a better person than the law ever could. Because the law, he calls it here the oldness of the letter, could only deal with external actions. Don't kill. Right? That's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't murder. Those, those types of things. They're dealing with an external the Spirit of God will take it further. Why is it that you want to kill that person? Why is it that you want to steal that thing? Jesus put the law on steroids. He, didn't he took it beyond the actions. He said, even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. He said, you didn't even make it to the act, but the desire in the heart was enough. And so the reason why the spirit will always trump the law is because the law changes your desire. Or the, sorry, the spirit changes your desire. It changes your want to so that you don't even have to think about wanting to carry it out. The desire has changed. And that's why the spirit of life will always trump the law because the law deals with the action. The spirit deals with the heart. Man, he's taken out the stony heart. He's given us a heart of flesh. All those hard, rigid areas, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he just brushes them off so that your heart can beat fresh and new and innocent once again. We've been delivered from the law. Does that make the law bad? Not at all. And I think the law of Moses gets a bad rap today. Just because you're not under it doesn't mean it didn't have a purpose. Paul goes on to say, what shall we say then about this? Is the law sin or is it bad? Certainly not. He says, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness if it, the law had not said, you shall not covet. And so Paul says it had a purpose it, it, uh, I wouldn't have known even what sin was. And that was the problem that the world had coming up to the time of Moses. Everything was just getting worse because no one had that measuring stick. And that's exactly what the law is. Tof, come here. You can help me with this example. So, Tof and I, get a little closer, get into the camera here. Tof and I are both standing in quicksand. We're going down. But all our only reference point is each other. Now, Jessica, come here. You can come stand right up here for me. Jessica is the law, and she is the equivalent of we just stuck a measuring tape in that quicksand that doesn't move. And so as Toph and I go down, we realize, oh, we're, we're going down, but something else has stayed the same. Thank you, guys. That's what the law was. It showed mankind their need for the Savior. It showed them, you've got a problem. There's a nature that needs to change. You're all sinking, and you think it's fine because you're all at the same level. And as soon as they put the law in, you realize, oh, wait, I'm going down. I'm going down. And Jesus reached down into the pit, 
and he grabbed you and he pulled you up and he raised you up and he made you sit together with him in heavenly places. And so the law had its purpose to show you your need for Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, it's not a bad thing. I wouldn't have known sin. And he says, but the problem was sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. And Paul had another conversation about the law with the Galatians. He said this in chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed should come. And that seed is capital S, so it's not talking about you as the seed coming. It's talking about Jesus, the seed that would spread and change everything that was possible. Until the seed would come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. When it talks about the law, you want to know who the mediator was of the Mosaic law? Moses. He was the mediator. And what does a mediator do? It stands between two parties. Moses was standing between the children of Israel and standing between God. And he was saying, God, please don't kill them. <laughs> because at one point, God was like, man, I'm so frustrated with you Israelites. Every time I tell you to do something, you do the opposite. I brought you out in here. I'm set up taking you to the promised land. And all you're saying is I want to go back to everything I knew back in Egypt. I'm just going to wipe them out. And Moses, I'll start again with you. And Moses said, please, please, God, don't do that. And God said, Moses, because you asked, I'll do it for you. Man, that's a great relationship. And do you know that your relationship with God is even better than Moses's was? Woo! And so Moses was the mediator. And the next verse says, now a mediator does not mediate only for one, but God is one, meaning the mediator stands in the middle. Do you know who the mediator is now? Jesus. Jesus is the one that is the mediator between man and God. And he says, this is the way it is. And God says, right, you're right, son. I agree with you. Hallelujah. Is this the law against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But how did righteousness come? It came as a gift called Jesus. He said, take my righteousness. Stop trying to earn your own. Here's mine. But the scripture has confined that all are under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to all those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. We were kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we have no we're no longer under the tutor. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And for as many as you as were baptized into Christ or were immersed into Christ, you've put on Christ. Yes. Come on. Yes. You've put on Christ. Yes. I was like this at one point. I was me. I was just me. And it says, when I was immersed in to Christ, I put on Christ. Everywhere I go, so does he. I wear him. 
He's what I draw from. He's my protection. He's what this world may crash against but will never break because he can't be broken by them. Death no longer has dominion over him. So for as many of you as were immersed into Christ, you've put on Christ. Christ is your reference point. Christ is what, when you says, well, what do you deserve? What does Christ deserve? You put him on. You've been immersed into him. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor free and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so when people say, I'm not under the law, but under grace, this is what they're saying. They're saying, oh, there's nothing that I need to do. There's nothing I need to follow. Whatever's going to happen is just going to happen because grace is there. No. There's a way that God has said, if you, if you follow this direction, you will be blessed in what you do. But if we choose to follow another direction, you will not be blessed in what you do. And there are people that are following their own way, their own path, and saying, God, why do these things keep happening to me? And God's saying, because you're following laws you were never meant to follow. Follow Jesus. Be free by the spirit of life. One more thing before we move on to the next one. We were in Romans chapter 6, verse 8 last week. And it says, now if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also Live with him. And so if your old nature died, there is also the other side of it that we now have the path of freedom to walk with him, to live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died once to sin for all. Everyone say for all. He made the provision for everyone, not just you, all, even for the ones that don't believe yet. He made that provision and that death once for all, says, but the life he lives, he lives to God, meaning it's a continual existence. As he is right now, so are you in this world. How is Jesus' life going right now? Pretty handy. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Things are pretty good for him. And you were meant to die in his death with him, and you're meant to live in his life with him right now, continuing on. And the death was once for all, but the life is forevermore, for all eternity, forever and ever 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 and ever. I live to God, I live with God, and I receive what God has laid out for me and given to me through Christ Jesus. So we said that to get back here to verse 11. It says, likewise, you, everyone say me. We're talking to ourselves right now. You don't have to look at your neighbor. We can talk to ourselves. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon, reckon, reckon. That word reckon, and I, I have, I'm going to address it a little bit deeper today. The word reckon is the word logozomai, and it's an accounting term. It means to count, it means to compute, it means to calculate, and it means to count over. And I've been defining it that way because that's the basic definition for years and years. And I was thinking about it, and you know what? When it comes to accounting, I've realized we're all pretty bad at it. 
You know, school did not a very good, didn't do a very good job of, uh, of preparing us for the things in life that actually matter. I don't think anybody in all of my schooling ever mentioned anything about taxes. But for some reason, drilled into my mind is the quadratic film formula. X is equal to minus B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 4AC all over 2A. And have I ever used that in my life yet? No, but I've done my taxes a lot. And so when it comes to accounting, I've realized most of us are pretty bad. And that's why there's such a huge debt problem in our nation and in the world around. I think it's like 1.7% like times over your, what you bring in, most people are spending. It's ridiculous because we're not very good and so when I say reckon is an accounting term maybe we should look a little deeper <laughs> and if maybe you're saying oh I'm really good at it that's great keep smiling <clears throat> this word logozomai deals with reality when he says reckon he's talking about reality something that is real, something that is tangible. And so if you want to use a great example, if I reckon that my bank book has $25 in it, it actually has $25 in it. Okay, that's when we talk about re re reckon, it's not talking about fantasy. It's not saying, oh, there's $25 in it, but I believe there's 40. No, if there's 25, there's 25. Otherwise, I'm just deceiving myself. This word refers more to fact than supposition or opinion. And unfortunately, most people live in fantasy land somewhere away. This is not about believing something that doesn't exist. This is about re uh, reconciling yourself to something that is true. So what is the true thing that Paul is wanting you to accept? Not that it will be. He's wanting you to accept something that is. Okay? Well, in verses 3 through 10, it reveals the truth that believers have already died to sin. Already. That is the fact Paul is wanting you to accept. You're already dead because Jesus died. Your old nature is dead because Jesus died. That is not a fantasy. That is not something that is out there abstract. It is a fixed reality. You have died with Christ. And sometimes we have to forget, wrap our minds around the fact that God's reality is higher than this reality. And if he said it's so, it is. And we need to exchange our yeah buts for yes lords. Come on. We need to exchange the yeah, but for yes, Lord. He said it is a fixed reality. You've died to sin because you participated in Jesus' death. And since believers have died with Christ and have been also raised with him, Paul now urged Christians to consider themselves dead to sin but alive to God. What is the fixed reality Paul's saying? You're alive. You're alive in Christ Jesus, but it feels like death is working in my body and I'm speaking life because that's the higher reality of what God has said. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Come on. That's a higher reality. It's a more fixed thing than anything that this world could ever speak to you. And so when people start petting you going like, oh, it's okay. I know you're feeling a little sick today. No, 
Don't let people pet your problems. Go ahead and find people who will encourage you and say, oh, isn't it great that the life of God is in this body? Do you know that right now that if two or three agree is touching anything on this earth, it shall be done by them for the, by my Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said. There is a higher law and a higher reality. Which one do you want to focus on? Which one do you want to be what, what you feel is real? I don't really give a rip what you think is real. What God said is real is real. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Take the wine out of your mouth and start putting a little bit more victory on your lips. Hallelujah. Whew. Well, that was law number one. You ready to start working towards law number two in the last few minutes we got here this morning? I want to go over to the book of James today. Now, I told you guys a few weeks ago that the book of James is not for the immature Christian. And so I believe that you guys are mature enough to be able to handle what James has to say. And there's a real reason why James is pretty blunt. You want to know what that is? He's been through the ringer. He's had a hard time. He was the leader of the church at Jerusalem. If you know your history, what happened shortly after the life of Jesus and uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Roman army came into Jerusalem and flattened the city. They started killing people in the streets because they had had enough of the Jews. They were like, we are tired of you guys trying to revolt every 10 years. We're going to make an example of this. And they leveled the city. They tore down the temple. They set the, the temple accidentally got set on fire. The gold began to run down off the, off the walls and into the streets. So they started ripping the bricks apart so they could get at the gold to take the splendor away. It was rough in Jerusalem. So bad so that when Paul was going around the, new, the, the known world at that time establishing churches, they all knew how bad Jerusalem had it. And the Philippians and those in the region of Macedonia said, we should probably help them. Paul, can you take this gift from us to them to help the starving people? And so James is not at all out of touch with reality. He knows what it means to believe. He knows what the power of God it will do. And so he's already set up to this point. If you need wisdom, ask God, who will give to you liberally. But don't be double-minded about it. Ask in faith. Meaning, if you ask, actually expect you're going to receive it. Don't be double-minded and say, God, I ask for wisdom, and then go, I don't know what to do. No, I know what to do. I ask for wisdom. I've got it. I believe I have it. We're going to go forward. He goes on to say, he's like, don't say when you're going through a hard time that God is the one tempting you. He bluntly says it to him. He's like, you, when you are tempted, are drawn away by your own desires. And when that's given birth, it produces death in you. He says, every good and perfect gift comes down from God. I think people were trying to justify their crappy situation saying, oh, well, God's trying to teach me. Oh, I think, you know, a lot of Christians still sound like that today. Well, James just said, no, God's not teaching you. You did this. Good things come from God. This is not good. Put on your big boy pants and let's go for a walk. Let's see, show me your faith. Faith without works is dead. Don't talk about it. Let's go do it. James has got some bold words. And so in verse number 18, we're going to start in the Amplified Version. In verse 18, after he gets finished saying that every good thing comes from God, he says this, it was of his own will that he gave us birth as his children. Isn't that good to know it wasn't your idea, it was his idea? 
You know, I, I heard this thing a long time ago. It's like, oh, you faith people, all you're trying to do is twist God's arm to make him do something. No, it was his idea. It was his will that we've been born into his kingdom the way he said. It was of his own will that he gave birth to us by the word of truth so that we would be the kind of first fruits of his creature. Now get this, it says, a prime example of what he created to be set apart to himself. Excuse me. Set apart to himself, sanctified, made holy for his divine purposes. You were meant to be a prime example to everybody else of the goodness of God and those he set apart into his kingdom fit for his use. So understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear. Be a careful, thoughtful listener. Slow to speak. A speaker of carefully chosen words. Man, we could preach series after series on just that statement alone. Shut your mouth. Say carefully chosen words. I already said, take the wine out of your mouth and put a little victory. You get to choose what comes between these flappy lips. You get to choose what comes out, right? And so James is saying, be quick to listen, slow to speak, choose right words, choose careful words. Why? Because he goes on in this book to say, your tongue is turning the direction of your life. Your tongue is either setting your world on fire or bringing it life. You don't like what you're seeing, change what you're saying. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Patient, reflective, and forgiving. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. No, how does the righteousness of God come? We already said, it is a gift. Therefore, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. What he's trying to say here is lay aside everything the world has to offer and receive with meekness. Everyone say meekness. meekness. The implanted word. Oh, let's go back to that. Everyone say meekness. meekness. Come on. Everyone say meekness. meekness. Oh, you are awake. Okay. Just wanted to make sure here. Sound like I had two people said that back to me first. <laughs> receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What is meekness? Because meekness, we think of as the quiet, the shy person, the one who's over in the corner, quiet as a church mouse. Oh, that person is so meek. That's not what he means here. Meekness is describing someone with a teachable spirit, without resistance, without disputing, and without questioning. It's someone whose heart is open saying, God, I am receptive and accepting of however you tell me it is is receive with meekness the word receive without resistance the word receive without res disputing the word receive without questioning there's sometimes where it's like god has no problem they say like mary he she said how is this going to happen he said it's okay the holy spirit's going to come upon you there's other times where you just need to say yes lord let's practice it yes lord take the yeah buts and insert the yes, Lord. And so he says, receive with meekness, being teachable, without resistance. And he says, receiving God's word this way will save the believer's soul. He's not talking about your spirit here. It's the word that has to do with your mind, your will, and your emotions. 
when we receive the word with meekness, without questioning, without disputing, it begins to send peace to our emotions. It begins to calm our thoughts because there's only one way to think after that. God's way, kingdom way, his law. Come on. And that brings peace because there's the, our, our thoughts and our emotions and our will often rides this instability of a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. I'm going by how I feel. Oh, I don't feel so good now, so the world's horrible. Oh, I'm feeling better now. The word is great. I'm walking on sunshine here. No, his word doesn't do this. His word does this. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it's been able to save your soul or bring peace and focus to your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions because you receive the word. The word is higher. Come on. The word is higher. And so he says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If you hear the word and go, mm-hmm, okay, and don't do anything with what you heard, you deceived yourself. You have deceived yourself. Come on, that's not, that's not an easy word. He says, you've deceived yourself. You think and believe something that's not true. The word of God produces action in you. When you hear the word, it should come alive in you because the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will engage with it. He's alive on the inside of you. And when you, the entrance of his word brings life. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? And so when the word of God is implanted into our heart, there should be a reaction, an explosion, a want to do. And so he says be doers of the word, but not hearers only. Amen? You know, I, 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 it's more and more common, like almost every second week, I get emails from people who are church shopping. They're looking for a new place because for some reason they're offended at where they were or whatever. And that's fine. Sometimes you need to find a better life-giving church. But I get email after email of people saying, I'm looking for a church where I can just come and listen and have no expectations of anything. I'm like, you're not going to find that. I'm going to push you. If you're going to stay the same, you're going to find somewhere else to go. Right? Because the word of God produces action in us. And so it's more and more common that Christians are saying, I just want to go in here. No, we are the church together. We all participate together. We all move forward together. So we're doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. And for he observes himself and he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. Think of it this way. I couldn't find a little mirror. And I was like, why, why would I need a mirror? I've got, I've got my phone. This is a great mirror. It's like a man who looks in the mirror. Hey, good looking. Yeah, looking good. Huh? You know, there's a little bit of lines there, but man, you're still good looking. Look at that. Might need to get that hair trimmed up soon. You know, man, I like it. I like what I see. And if you don't talk like that to yourself, maybe you should. Come on. Because you're not always going to find somebody else who will. You better talk good about yourself. You know, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're like, ah! Okay, give it a second. The, bag, the bags will go away. Get a little coffee into me and I'll be fine. But he said, looking into the word is like a man who looks into the mirror and he sees what type of person he is. He doesn't go, hey, good looking. And then go out there and there's a person setting up a lineup. Good looking people over here. Ugly people over here. Which line are you getting in? Well, basically, James is saying, if you've looked into the word, you better be getting into the good-looking line. 
Come on. It should produce a reaction. If the word says you're good looking, get in the good looking line. If the word says you're good looking and you're getting in the ugly line, you believe something that's not the word. For he observes himself and he goes away and immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. The word of God is not something we forget. The word of God is something we need to apply and we need to hold as that high standard of reality. But it says, you ready for this? You ready for this? Everybody ready? But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. That's what God calls his word. The perfect law law of liberty the perfect law of let's change the word freedom god has given us freedom whatever we take the word and apply it to will become free you take the bondage that this world has put on you and apply to the word and it'll make you free you take your finances and apply the word and it'll make you free You take your sickness and apply the word, and it'll make you free. Whatever the word touches, freedom flows because it's the perfect law of liberty. It's not even like one of the minor laws. He said it's perfect. And he says that he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. I'm not just an occasional looker. I'm an everyday looker. Come on. I'm going to look at myself. I want to see myself in this world because that's what's going to come. The word is going to flow out of these pages into my heart and into this world. I'm going to continue in it day after day after day after day. And that's our word for 2023 is continue. Continue with the word and believe it above the word of anything else. Including your own word. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one, not another one, this one will be blessed in what he does. You can try your darndest to be blessed any other way, but God's blessing only comes under God's laws. So law of God number two, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. Come on. Paul told the Galatians, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Paul says that by standing in the liberty, you're not going to be tempted to go back to the crap that he pulled you out of, that he made you free from with the spirit of life. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's why I preached the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free first because that spirit of life is his spirit on the inside of you doing a work that you could not do and when you will stand in that law of life first it brings you into that place of liberty it says but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord we are transformed into the same image. Same image is who? Him. From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of Lord, that Spirit of life. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus 
has made me free. And he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. I'll be blessed in what I do. I plan on continuing. God, I thank you that by your strength and by your favor and by your grace, I'll continue. I'll continue in what you've called me to. I'll continue in what the word of God has said. I'm not going to be pulled to the left or the right. I'm continuing on, right heading towards you. My eyes fixed on you, being transformed from glory to glory to glory. I thank you, Lord. You have empowered me by your grace to continue. And oh, just as David said, oh, how I love your law. By it, I've been made smarter than my tutors. Life has flowed to me. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything, you can come on up and see our Word Care team. They would love to pray with you, believe with you, agree with you. For those of you watching at home, if you guys need prayer for anything, hey, go ahead right there on the website and click on the I Want Prayer and send your request in. We would love to pray with you today. Well, Pastor Robin, why don't you bring us in for a landing? Well, glory. Well, it's offering time. Woohoo! Something that Pastor Jordan said at the start of this whole message. He said, You are bound by the law of the kingdom you've been born into. Well, I, I need a statement put up here. So, regarding uh, the offering and uh, offering, um, it is to be determined, and it's to be determined by you. You control this whole scenario. The law of seed time and harvest has not passed away. It says in Genesis, as long as the earth remains. So this is not a law, a mosaic law. This is the law of the kingdom. As, law, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest does not quit. It does not stop. If you sow, you will reap. And if you sow into the kingdom of God, you will reap exceedingly abundantly above you can ever ask or think. That's the life I live. We, 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 you know, decades ago, we understood giving tithes, even though tithes not under the law, but tithes is a good kingdom principle. And offering beyond that is even better. So we've, we understand that. We live that. You know, I'm dealing with a, a person that has a poverty mentality. And that poverty mentality they are ha that they're dealing with is actually leading to death. All kinds of evil. You wouldn't believe the circumstances this person is under and how it's affecting them, how it's affecting their family, how it's affecting their, their friends. It's just evil at its worst. And it's just a poverty mentality. And it's a matter of not understanding that God has dealt with that. You don't have to have a poverty mentality. And so I just wanted to encourage you in the fact that this is the law of the kingdom. So for you to participate in the law of the kingdom of seed time and harvest is doing what God said to do. Amen? Amen. So rebuke the poverty of the poverty spirit, and move into the spirit of king, the kingdom of God. Amen.
which is blessed to be a blessing. Amen? Amen.